Hi and welcome to a new season of SP Campus Radio Magazine, a podcast that showcases a rich diversity of programs, research and events that happen at the Sedebo Care Campus of the Ben Gurion University of the Negev. Today in studio it's me Francisco, I'm a PhD student here. And I'm Professor Simon Barak from the Jacob Blaustein Institutes for Desert Research. Great to be with you in the studio, Francisco, and welcome to all our listeners. So, Francisco, what have we got lined up uh, on this episode? Great. In this episode, we're pleased to bring you voices from the students who are joining us this semester, as well as interviews from member faculty. We welcome all of you to listen and enjoy as you get to hear about a new event that's happening on our campus, organized by Italy and Israel, addressing climate change by combining science and art. We also say goodbye to one of our master's students, Rohit, as he finishes his time here at the campus. But to start off with, we're going to hear from a special guest we had in the studio a few weeks ago. So listen in because SB Campus Radio Magazine is just about to begin. You're listening to BGU Radio. Hello to all the BGU Radio listeners. I'm Professor Simon Barat, coming to you from BGU Radio's Stebblecare Campus Studio. What you just heard, of course, was the chart-topping hit, the mitochondria rock song. Fitting, really, as we recently had one of the leading plant mitochondria researchers, Professor Orin Ostezetzebiran from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, give a departmental seminar at BGU's French Associates Institute for Agriculture and Biotechnology of Drylands. Now, Oren and I go back a long time. So after the seminar, I got him into BGU Radio Studio so we could learn a bit about the person behind the science. The first issue that I had to deal with was his surname that everybody has fun trying to pronounce. Ostazetsa Biran. Ostazetsa hyphen Biran. So I asked him about it. Yeah, so this is why my kids are only known as Biran <laughs> and not the Ostazetser. So Ostazetsa has several means. One of them is um, sitting in the east part of the synagogue, which maybe was an important thing because then you are sitting behind the rabbi, so everybody is looking at you, mm-hmm. and probably you have to pay to be there. Another explanation is that maybe the family has a region in Russia. And the Biran part? The Biran part is coming from my wife. Oren's formative years were in Beersheva where his father was an aircraft engineer at Israel Aerospace Industries. And as a young boy and man, he loved hiking in the desert, and particularly loved working with animals. What I really wanted to do is becoming a vet. And he worked for a very long time with a well-known vet in Beersheva. But being an animal lover, Oren was very disturbed by the awful conditions at the city dog shelter, where many of the dogs were euthanized. And we decided to open something, an alternative option for the dogs, that they will not be. I mean, they could live forever in this shelter. And I worked there for many years. After his army service, in order to become a vet, Oren studied biology at Ben-Gurion University of the Negev, where I first met him when he was in his last year of his BSc, and I was just starting my master's. His idea was to read two years of biology and then move to the veterinary school in Rehovot. But as with all well-laid plans, this never came about. 
because Oren got hooked on molecular biology, particularly microbiology. And from there, his fascination with mitochondria began while working with Professor Varda Shoshan Baumatz on mitochondria in muscle. It blew my mind when I first heard about it, that basically mitochondria originated from bacteria that lived with a cell, then became a part of the cell. They have their own DNA. However, Oren had a major problem. We used to work with, I think it was rabbits and rats. You had also to kill sometimes the animals to extract the mitochondria from that tissues. To me, it's a little, was a little bit a problem, especially thinking about right. what I wanted to do in my life. <laughs> but then I started to think about uh, organelles in plant cells. So he decided to change direction and joined Professor Tzach Adam's lab at the Hebrew University's Faculty of Agriculture to do his MSc work. And he quickly realised that plant mitochondria were even more interesting than in animal systems. Indeed, in his seminar here, Oren mentioned that the amazing fact that only 10% of mitochondria in the plant cell actually possess a genome. Yeah, so this is still controversial. I do believe that most mitochondria don't have a DNA. How can it be? I think that they can still be active, especially in respiration and cellular metabolic, because they are at the center of energy production for the cell and also are really important for cellular metabolism. Probably they can do so by cycles of fission and fusion. And cycles of fission and fusion means that mitochondria are meeting each other, they merge and then separated, and this activity is known as fission and fusion. They sometimes form nets. So maybe it's not absolutely essential that every mitochondria, individual mitochondria, will have a genome as long as they can exchange genetic materials, protein, metabolites, and so forth. Oren is an expert in the regulation of mitochondrial gene expression, and in particular, the process of excision of introns from the pre-RNA and splicing of the protein-coding exons to form the mature message RNA. This is very important for gene expression because alternative splicing of different exons can lead to many protein products from a single gene. Oren has researched this topic for many years, and I wanted to know if he still feels excited when he makes a discovery. Yeah, absolutely excited about it. I think that yeah, every time that you come to the lab, you think, I mean, you live it. You, you live it through the day, you live it through the night. You live it when you are in the shower, and when you sit in front of the TV and you see something and you say, okay, that's something interesting, I have to think about it. So you live it all the time. And it's fun. Otherwise, we will not do it. Living your science. I think that is something that all scientists can relate to. I said at the beginning of this podcast that I wanted to explore the person behind the scientist. And anybody who knows Orin knows that he has a wicked sense of humour. So I reminded him of the time I visited him after his move to the Hebrew University, and he was setting up his new lab. Oren was looking for the most important piece of lab equipment, a coffee-making machine. The problem was that he could not buy a coffee machine with research funds. At that time it was impossible. I'm not even sure what is the regulation for it now. <laughs> At that time it was impossible. So I decided to do it anyway. I asked them. Um, they said no. And then I asked again, but this time I said that um, I need a machine to for plant extraction 
with high heat and high pressure. <laughs> it took some while, but I understood it's a coffee machine and said no. So then I was almost, I mean, close to give up. And then I realized that there are places that sell frigiders and also coffee machines. So what about buying a refrigerator that makes coffee? And the guy said, it's impossible. We don't have such an equipment. I said, look, it doesn't have to cool, but it has to do coffee. And this is how we got the coffee machine. And that is a classic Oren Osterzetzebiran story. It was really enjoyable, Francisco, to be in the studio with Oren. And I'd really like to thank him for being such a great sport and giving us a glimpse into his life. I truly enjoyed his story about the coffee maker. <laughs> and now as we proceed, we're going to get to hear from the students. Uh, a lot of them are excited to be here because it's their first time. They're new students. Also, we'll get to hear about Rohit, who's been a student here for the past two years, and he's leaving us. Hi, I'm Leila. I'm from the U.S., and I'm beginning my master's in ecology. Hi, all. My name is Kishore. I'm from India. I live in a city called Hyderabad, south part of India, and my research area is development of respite solar cells. I am Joseani and I am from Brazil. I came to BGU to start a postdoc working on the physiological effects of desalination on corals. I am Amru. I'm a local student of Haifa and I'm doing my PhD now in the field of biosensor. Hi, I am Elise. Uh, I come from Prague, from Czech Republic, and I came to BGU for a postdoc to study water treatment, uh, especially uh, phosphorus recovery from wastewater. Hello, my name is Nurit. I'm from a small place in the center of Israel, and I came to study ecology. My research will be on wild asses, but mm -hmm. it will stick, still take uh, time for me to start because I need complete some courses, biology and ecology courses. Right. So next semester I'll start. Welcome here. Thank you. Uh, hello everyone. Hello all the BGUNs. Uh, I'm Trishla. I'm a postdoc here. I'm from uh, the south part of India and I'll be studying epigenetics of plants. Hi Rohit. Hey Francisco, how are you? Fine, thanks. We're coming to the tail end of your uh, time here with us at Stable Care. <laughs> I just wanted to catch you before you left and ask you, what are some of the highlights of your time? Uh, well, feral makes all real. Uh, let's see. Um, gaining a master itself is a great part of my life and uh, that is one of the highlights. And one more thing is uh, being a part of the campus radio, taking part in welcoming committee, and uh, pretty hard breakups, I can say, in my <laughs> life. <laughs> a few of the insights yeah. which I had in this, this city book app. Right, and when it comes to the research that you conducted, are there some achievements that you are proud of and you'd like to share? That's a good point. So, yes. So, Saribokea BGU is best institute which pumps out the great scientists in the world. I still not b 
believing myself to be called as a scientist, but uh, I'm able to make three papers and uh, I got co-authorships in three papers. And my research, which I did as a master's student, is a founding step in the epigenetic research, which my lab is focusing in. Agreed. And finally, as a parting shot, any words of wisdom <laughs> or any words that you could uh, give someone to take as uh, you say goodbye? Well, one word would be too concise and too concentrated, I can say. Mm-hmm. In my journey in the past two years, mm-hmm. it felt really amazing. And every day I had this new excitement. Uh, there is this warm feeling in my heart which says that, yes, this is the day. Everyone says that, uh, well, you are in the middle of the desert. There is nothing exciting happening. I beg to differ. You can come and you can live here. The social life here is pretty amazing. Every week there is a new event which is happening in the student pub. There are like million things to do. And I feel myself, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. like I never even covered half of them. <laughs> like, yeah. But um, to be fair, like I'm the most social person. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there are like a lot of stuff to do the way we see it. I can say to my fellow friends, it is like a best place to have friends with. Meeting the persons like you will store for their life. Like Mm -hmm. you will keep them in your heart. You will seal them so tight. And uh, the relationships, the bonds which we happen here are very amazing. Not from the country, like from the world. Like I have friends from Germany, Kenya, India, like. I don't know where to start. Like, <laughs> It's been amazing. Yeah. Great. So, well, thank you so much, Rohit, for all that you've shared. And again, we it's wish you nothing but the best in your future journey. Yeah. And it's my pleasure. As always, Francisco. Like, yeah. yeah. We appreciate all the time you've spent with us, obviously, here at the radio. And we appreciate your zeal and excitement. And as you go... We pray that you may have uh, clear skies and fair winds. Thank you so much. So that's goodbye for Rohit and welcome for the rest of the new students. We move on to another segment of SB Campus Radio Magazine where we listen to Professor Aaron Fate with his interview with the scientific attaché to the Italian embassy about an event that's happening at our campus. You're listening to BGU Radio. Buongiorno a tutti. This is Professor Aaron Pite from uh, the Jacob Lauschen Institute. And I'm here today to tell you about a new event bridging between Italy and Israel, between uh, climate change, science and art. And we have uh, today a fantastic guest that will present this event. He is uh, Dr. Stefano Ventura, senior researcher at the National Research Council, specialized in microbial ecology and cyanobacteria in extreme environments. He is now the uh, scientific attaché at the Italian embassy in Israel. Welcome, Stefano. Uh, welcome to all of you that are listening to this program, and uh, I'm very pleased uh, to be w- with you now. Stefano, tell, tell us a, a little bit about uh, this amazing event that is opening uh, at the Blaustein Institute for Desert Research. Yes, it's an exhibition. It's a photographic exhibition of uh, special environments, uh, the mountain environments, mostly in Italy, but not only in Italy. You would ask why mountains in uh, Sdebocher. 
because mountains like polar regions and deserts are environments in which the climate change is stronger than in other normal environments. So we thought that the Tembocare campus was the right place to show this uh, exhibition of uh, pictures, uh, very nice pictures taken on Italian mountains. Uh, they are series of pictures, uh, group of photographs uh, taken from the same place at around 100 years from each other. So for each mountain, we have a, a series of two or three pictures taken from the same place in uh, 100 years. And what we found, uh, that uh, there is an incredible replete of the glaciers that can be seen in almost all sites. So these mountains focus on the most dramatic effect of climate change in the mountains, that is glacier retreats. And this exhibition is called Italian Roots, right? Yes, Italian Roots, the roots that are running into the mountains. And so we can see how the mountain environment is changing in the last century, even more than one century. Apart from the beauty of the pictures themselves, the message is absolutely clear. I would say brutal message. Ice is disappearing, glaciers are gone, and the mountain landscape completely modified, destroyed. The transformation is irreversible. And without ice, heat accumulates and the changes are going faster and faster. So the message that is given by this exhibition is rather disturbing, but it's important. We have to consider a lot of consequences of the climate change in the mountains and also in the deserts. Soil erosion, floods that alternate to dryness periods, strong impact on climate, on the ecosystem, on social life, on agriculture, and even on tourism. And these phenomena also happen in deserts the reduction of rainfalls, the increase in temperature, and a few very intense events with devastating floods. So our ecosystem is changing, and the deserts and mountains and polar regions, I would say, they are most more exposed to this, to this change. And if we don't act rapidly, the change will be irreversible. Now, the... Climate change usually is uh, um, told to be related to migration of uh, people, migration of populations, especially we hear populations from uh, Africa or from Asia moving towards richer countries. So can you tell us maybe how in these uh, 100 years or 50 years, how did the, the social community and the social balances of the montanos population change? Did they change uh, in respect to work? Did they, did they move to the cities? Uh, how about uh, the younger population from montanos community? Are they still uh, holding on in, on in the mountains uh, despite uh, these uh, uh, dramatic changes that you described? Yes, yes. Uh, I would say at the beginning uh, of the last century, in the first half of the last century, the mountain uh, environment was on average a poor environment. There were poor places uh, and people had a, a harsh life. So there was a movement from the mountains to the plants and to the cities. 
uh, young people uh, left the mountain villages uh, and uh, went down to town to find a job, to find an easier life. Things changed in part of the mountains uh, with the arrival of the tourists. So in the second half of the last centuries and still now, uh, there has been a strong arrival, a strong uh, touristic industries, industry developing in, in the mountains, mostly linked to winter tourism, to skiing resorts, to skiing places that brought people to the mountains, brought richness there, but also strongly impact the landscape because the slope for skiing were built, forests were cut, and fluxes of people in a limited period of the year were very intense. And it was very difficult to balance the structure of the stable social society there with the arrival of so many tourists in a short time. But overall, mountain regions became richer. And so people decided to live there, to stay there. Local people decided to open activities there, working activities, mostly linked to tourism. The last, I would say, 20 years, at least, the effect of climate change and temperature increase is really challenging. Also the touristic industry, because the snow precipitation is decreasing, there's less snow for a shorter period, and uh, higher temperatures, so the quality of the, the snow is not so good. And this is really a changing time. I, I don't know, I'm not sure that the, the ski industry could continue at the same pace that uh, it's uh, now. Uh, so it's a complex picture. On one side, uh, there was a strong poverty, but then it was replaced by a touristic activity. And now uh, winter tourism is going into some troubles. Also due to the pandemic, uh, I suppose. Oh, the pandemic is, is limited to three years, uh, to two, two years. Uh, and uh, of course, it has a, it has a terrible impact. The, the winter season was blocked uh, for two years. Now, this year seems that it will be partially restored. So the, the, the impact is very strong, but it's a, a temporary impact. What is more significant is the, is the weather. The weather is changing. The uh, snow precipitation is decreasing and the skiing season is uh, uh, shrinking. And this is for the winter. Yes, this reminds me uh, about uh, the economist issue of this week that talks about uh, uh, predictable unpredictability of uh, the, the period we are living in. So uh, tell me uh, another thing. Within the frame of this exhibition that will last a couple of months uh, at the Blaustein Institute, there will be also two separate webinars, right, in January. Yes, we thought that it was a good occasion to widen the discussion, not only to look into the pictures and uh, learning from the exhibition, but also going in deep in a few topics that are slightly related. The first webinar on the 19th of uh, January will be on uh, glaciology. So we'll see what happens uh, with the melting of glaciers, uh, in the mountains compared 
with transforming uh, water dynamics in the desert. There will be two speakers, uh, from one from Glaciologist uh, from Italy and an expert of soil, desert soil from Sdeboker. And then we also have a look uh, to the impact that this changing water dynamics in the mountains will have on the human population, on the, those living there and those, in go those going there for tourism. There will be a, a medical doctor, an expert in uh, mountain life uh, that will give uh, also a presentation. Uh, one week after, uh, we'll concentrate uh, on uh, agriculture in uh, high mountains and deserts. Okay. So Stefano, I think we, we covered uh, these uh, events uh, and uh, I would like to say that uh, uh, this event uh, is being um, organized uh, with uh, the Embassy of uh, Italy in Tel Aviv, the Ministry of uh, uh, Foreign Affairs, uh, the Institute uh, for Italian Culture, the Blaustein Institute for Desert Research, Ben Gurion University of the Negev. I, I just want to underline one weak point. Uh, we will have uh, a webinar on uh, viticulture, heroic viticulture, but uh, since there are webinar, we are not able to taste the special wines. That, that's a pity, but uh, uh, I, I feel that we will have uh, new opportunities to taste the wines from the high mountains and the desert, of course. <laughs> Actually, you will have this opportunity because once you are going to be in Midrashet Ben Gurion at the Zdeboker campus, looking at this amazing picture, then you could go and taste some wine from the Negev Desert. I, I will take the opportunity to do that, uh, surely. Fantastic. Many thanks, Stefano. This is it from uh, BGU radio station. Uh, I hope to see you all at the Jacob Larsen Institute for this amazing event. See Thank you. you. Booker. Goodbye. We hope you have all enjoyed this episode of SP Campus Radio Magazine. We would like to thank the director of BGU Radio, Dr. Buzi Raviv, for his technical help in producing this episode. And from us here in the studio, we want to wish our Christian listeners a very Merry Christmas and to everybody, a happy and healthy New Year. Listen in to many more great podcasts from BGU Radio at our website radio.bgu.se.il.